the blood of Jesus, absolutely. And uh, today we're going to discuss number 15, blessing that we have in the blood. We started real quick to recap. The first one was? We are what? What was it? No, purchased, no, that was later. I'm just trying to go in order so don't forget. The first one was? Forgiveness of sin, absolutely. The reference to that is Hebrews chapter 9. Without the bloodshed, there is no forgiveness of sin. Does everybody need to stand up? I feel like you guys are <laughs> sleeping, so respond with me. Number two, we pr- we're forgiven by the blood, Hebrews chapter uh, 9. Number two, we are, we can enter the holy places by the blood. And that's from Hebrews chapter 10. And the scripture is this, we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And number three, we enter into a, a new covenant by the blood of Jesus. And that's example uh, Luke 22, when Jesus said, when he was um, doing the Lord's Supper, this is my blood for the new covenant that was shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. Are you guys memorizing this scripture? We repeat it every week, so I hope you're getting it. Amen? So we entered into the covenant, the new covenant, by the blood. Number four was, we are? Purchased, exactly. Now, Brother Emmanuel, purchased by the blood of Jesus. And that is from Revelation chapter... Five, when the multitude stand before Christ and they say, you're worthy Lamb of God to take the scroll, to open it up because you were slain and you have what? Purchased us to God, your Father. And what was the price? By your blood. Okay, so purchase number four. Number five, we have been acquired by the blood. God owned us, took hold of us, became our possessor by the blood of Jesus. And that is from Acts 20:28. 20, 20, Amen. And that is Paul telling the elders in the church of Ephesus, take very good care of the church of God, which he purchased with what? His own blood, the blood of his own. Amen. So that is purchased, by, purchased and acquired. And then we talked about Ben. Redeemed by the blood. And that is from 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. What did Peter say? He said that we have not been redeemed from our aimless conduct that we have received from our forefathers with corruptible things like silver or gold. So what we have been redeemed with? We have been redeemed with the precious blood as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That is the blood of Christ. Amen. So we have been redeemed by the blood. And then number seven, we have been freed by the blood. We have been set free by the blood of Jesus. And that is from Revelation chapter one. Again, it's a hymn, a song to Christ. And it says this to him who loved us so much so that he set us free from our sins. How? By his blood. We have been set free by the blood. So that's number seven. Number eight, we have been... Reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. Amen. And that is from Colossians chapter 1, 19 to 22. It pleased God, Paul says, that two things will happen in Christ. Number one, in Him, the full deity of God will dwell. And number two, it pleased God to reconcile all things. Things that are in heaven, things that are on earth, in Him, in Christ. Having made peace. How? By the blood of his cross. Amen. And then number nine, right? Nine. 
We, we have been brought near by the blood. And that is Ephesians chapter 2, 13. But now, Paul says, I love that. But, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off, what happened to you? Have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Amen? So that is brought near by the blood of Jesus. I lost count. I'm going to intend now. Ten? Okay. What is number ten? We did that. Justified by the blood, absolutely. And that is from Romans chapter 5, verse 9, right? 9 and 10, you got it. And what did Paul say? How much more, he said, now that we have been justified, how? By the blood, blood of Christ, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Amen? So that's number 10. Number 11. We have been... Propitiation in the blood. That's, we're in Romans after that. We stayed two weeks in Romans. We, there is propitiation in the blood. And we say propitiation means uh, Jesus died. He satisfied the wrath of God over our sins. That's the point of propitiation. And he satisfied the wrath of God. How? By his blood. What is the scripture for that? Romans chapter 3 verse 25. Right? What did Paul say? That God has publicly displayed Christ. As propitiation. How? By his blood. Amen? Through faith. Amen? So that is propitiation 11. Number 12. Getting there? We have been, yeah. Now we're going to talk about how the blood can cleanse us for a couple of weeks. Number one, we have been, in that, we have been cleansed by the blood. Who said that to us? John, right? First John 1, 7. If we... Um, what is the if we uh, we have fellowship if we confess our sin then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son does what cleanses us from all sins amen and then we talked about purifying our conscience that guilt that shame that we have because of sin the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from that and that was from Hebrews chapter Nine, and it says this, how much more will the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit has offered himself as a sacrifice to God, will purify, will purge our conscience from dead works to do what? To serve the living God. Amen? So that is cleansing our conscience. And last week we spoke about washed by the blood. And was that Revelation chapter 7, right? Revelation chapter 7, when, when one of the elders was asking John, who's, when one of the elders was asking John, who are these? And John said, I don't know. Then the elder says, these are the ones who came out of the tribulation and they have washed the robes and made them white. How? By the blood of? Jesus. Not Jesus, the lamb. <laughs> the blood of the lamb. That's very important terminology. Amen. Today, we're going to go number 15. And I promise you, this is so good. Amen. Today we're going to talk about being sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Amen? The scripture reference is from Hebrews 11, uh, I apologize, Hebrews 13, 11 to 14. Here is what the author of Hebrews says. For the bodies of those animals, well, let me pause, tell you what he's talking about. He's talking about in the day of the atonement. Remember that one day when the high priest in the Old Testament will enter into the holy places, the holy of holies. And uh, he had to slaughter animals, actually two goats and one bull. That's the number of uh, 
Well, actually, one goat and one bull. The other goat will run away. So the, the blood of the goat and the bull he takes into the holy of holies when he enter into before the presence of God. So he's talking about that, the one goat and the one bull that are being sacrificed. And he said, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. So after he gets into the Holy of Holies with the blood in his hand, the actual bodies of the animal that was slaughtered, they take them out of the camp and they burn them out. Okay? So he's saying that. Verse 12, therefore Jesus also, look at that, therefore Jesus also, i.e. in the same manner, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. What did he do? He suffered outside the gate. Amen? Verse 13, therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach, for, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Amen? All right, so today we're going to talk about how we are sanctified by the blood. And we're going to talk about three points. Number one, we're going to talk about the connotation of sanctification. And then number two, we're going to talk about the cost of sanctification. And number three, we're going to talk about the call, the call for sanctification. Amen? Three C's. You guys can compliment me later on that, all right? But let's... Try to say only the three words right now. What is the three points today? Number one, connotation or meaning. What, what does the sanctification mean? Okay. And number two, the cost. And number three, the call. Let's say them all together out loud. Make sure you follow me. Number one, the connotation. Number two, the cost. And number three, the call. So let's start with number one. What does it mean in our text here that we are sanctified? Okay. So the word for sanctification or sanctified from Hebrews is actually, the very root for it is the word kadash. Okay? Kudus. We have it the same in Arabic. And from the word kadash, we get the Hebrew word kadush. When we talk about God, the Hebrew call him kadush, holy. And the word holy, when we say God is holy, it definitely means that he is pure, that he is sinless, that, he, that there is no approach in him, there is no sin in him, there is no filth in him. He's so pure when it comes to sin. But the word holy also means that he is set apart, he is isolated, he is unique. So the word for sanctification or the word for holy, the kadash, to, to Kadush or Kadash, that means not just purity in terms of sin, but can also imply to be set apart, different and unique. Okay? That is the meaning of the word. In a way, I used that uh, analogy before in the past. And I told you, like, if I am sitting down with my kids and we're eating a piece of chicken, and I, I know my wife loves dark meat, right? And let's say she's not with us. So... We eat, my wife is not with us, so we cut the dark meat and we put it aside, okay? And we, I tell my kids this, I'm going to keep this dark meat, this piece of dark meat for my wife when she comes back, right? In a way, I set aside this piece of meat because I have a purpose for it. If one of my kids tried to eat it, I would say, 
Don't do it. This is not for you. This is, has a reason. This is, has a purpose why it is set apart this way, right? And then when my wife comes, she'll find her meat and she'll enjoy it. In a way, that is in so many ways the point of sanctification, the point of consecration. You're like set apart. God is setting you and me apart because has, he has a unique purpose for you and me. Amen? And we find so many examples like that in the Bible, Old Testament and the New Testament. Let's just read a couple. Exodus 30, 25 to 30. Here is what the Lord says. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil. So God is giving Moses instructions to make oil. And then verse 26, he say, With it, with this oil, you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and all its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of the burnt offering with all its utensils, and the labor and its base. You shall, what? Consecrate them. You should set them aside. You should consecrate them that they may be most, what? Holy. So what God is saying here, you make this oil and you anoint the, the furniture in the tabernacle of meeting and you set them aside for the purposes of being used only in that tabernacle, right? What God is saying is this, you cannot take that altar of burnt offering, for example, and just using to grill on it at your own home. You can't just, you know, you come in, you take it home, you grill on it, and then you bring it back to the tabernacle. God said that doesn't work. Amen? These are set apart for a very unique purpose, which is serve as the furniture in the tabernacle to approach the Holy God. And that's the point here of consecration, the point of sanctification. Amen? Jeremiah 1.5, listen to what the Lord told Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, okay? Before you were born, I did what? I sanctified you, I set you aside, I consecrated you, because you, Jeremiah, is, are different. You're not like everybody else, you're not like every other child is being born. I am calling you to be my messenger and my prophet, and because I have very unique and specific plan for you, I have set you aside for that. Amen? Number three, that's um, John 10, 36. Look at this amazing scripture that Jesus said. Do you say, he's talking to the elders and the leaders of Israel at that time. Do you say of him whom the father has what? Sanctified and sent him into the world. You are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. So he, Jesus is talking about himself. And he's saying to the elders of Israel. He's saying that you're talking about, you're telling me, him, whom the father has sanctified and sent to the world. What Jesus is saying here is this. The Father has set me aside for the purposes of accomplishing the salvation plan that he has for the sake of mankind. Does that make sense? God is, Jesus is saying here, the Father and I got together. God has the plan, but I'm going to execute that plan. Therefore, God has sanctified me, consecrated me, so I can fulfill this plan. Amen? You guys follow me? Not really? Okay. Now, John 17, 19, another example. And for their sake, Jesus prays. And he said, for their sake, I do what? I sanctify myself. What Jesus is saying here, because of Emmanuel's sake, because of Wayne's sake, because of Cammy's sake, because of their sake, because of the sake of their salvation, I'm going to set myself apart so I can accomplish that salvation plan for them. Amen? Think about that. 
Think about it. This is God. This is like the one who's equal to God the Father, right? This is the one who's in his presence, everybody's saying glory. This is the one who's so magnificent and so amazing and so wonderful that words cannot even explain how awesome he is. He's, he, he's the creator of everything, right? Yet, he sanctifies, he set himself aside for the purposes of saving you and me. Isn't that, this is a powerful statement. I want to preach that one day. What a love that he has for us, that he will sanctify himself for your sake and for my sake. Amen? So again, the idea here of sanctification over and over and over, definitely it implies holiness and striving against sin. But I believe that in our context here, what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us, that in order for Jesus to sanctify us by his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. What the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us here is this, in order for Jesus to sit us aside from this world that we can be his people so we can approach God and we can worship God in order for him to do that for us he sacrificed he suffered outside the camp and he shed his blood amen so that is the point here of that the word sanctification we're consecrated we're set aside to approach to worship the living God amen we see that even multiple times very clearly in in the Bible in the Old Testament for example uh, Exodus 19.10. This is not 19.1. It's 19.10. Exodus 19.10. God is about to give the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. So he tells them, before I show up on Mount Sinai and give you the commandment, here is what you need to do. You need to consecrate yourself. You need to cleanse yourself. You need to set yourself apart. So this way I can come and communicate with you. So again, in order to approach God, to worship him, the people need to be sanctified, need to be consecrated. Amen? And the last example is 1 Samuel 16.5. Multiple examples here. 1 Samuel 16.5. What is happening here is this. Samuel the prophet is going to anoint David, the son of Jesse, to be king. And before they offer the sacrifice, Samuel is telling Jesse and all his children this. Sanctify yourself. Consecrate yourself because you're about to approach and worship the living God. Amen? So... The meaning of sanctification here that the author of Hebrews is telling us is this. In order for Jesus to sanctify us, in order for Jesus to consecrate us, in order for Jesus to set us aside from the rest of the world to approach and worship the living God, he needed to suffer outside the camp. Amen? Amen. So that is the meaning, the connotation of sanctification. Amen? You guys asleep? Okay. All right, amen. Number two, the cost of sanctification. What would it take that we can be sanctified? Let's look at that passage right here. Um, let's read verse 11 and 12 one more time, okay? Here is what the author of Hebrews says. For the bodies of those... Um, Wayne, can you get uh, another note for my sister here so she can read with us? Um, Hebrews, let's read verse 11 and 12 again. For the bodies of those animals, again, these are the animals that were slaughtered in the day of atonement, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, in the same manner, Jesus also, he had to, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. What the author of Hebrews is telling us is this. In order for us to be sanctified, consecrated, to approach and come close to the living God, Jesus had to fulfill what these animals in the Old Testament were doing 
in order to sanctify the people in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the Day of the Atonement, as I just mentioned earlier, there was three animals involved, one bull and two goats. So they will slaughter the one bull and one goat, and then they use their blood so that the high priest will enter into the holy places with their blood, but they take the bodies of the animals that were slaughtered and they burn them outside the camp. And then the last goat that is still alive, the high priest lay his hand on them, confess the sin of the people, and they, they let him free in the wilderness. Amen. So what the author of Hebrews is saying is this. Just in as much as the bodies of these animals that represent the sin offering needed to be burned outside the camp. So Jesus also historically, literally went out of Jerusalem carrying his cross. And he died not in the city of Jerusalem, but outside the city of Jerusalem, right? Geographically and historically, right? And it would be that when Jesus did that, he fulfilled what was happening to these animals in the Day of Atonement. He suffered, he died, he shed his blood, but he was physically outside the gates of the city of Jerusalem. Amen? To fulfill the type. So in other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying here, the price of our sanctification for us to be consecrated, to even think about approaching the living God, had to be that very cross that Jesus needed to go to, that very shame, that very death, that very blood that Jesus shed on the cross. That was the price and the reason for us ever to be consecrated and sanctified to approach God. Amen? Amen? Now let's look at this. This is just amazing. So Jesus needs to suffer outside the camp. Let us see what the Bible teaches about outside the camp. What is outside the camp? And when you look at the different scriptures in the Old Testament, you're going to find there are three things. Um, again, we're talking about the cost of our sanctification. What did it take for you and I to be sanctified to approach the living God? We find three things from the Bible about what happens outside the camp. Number one, we find that there is exclusion from the presence of God. Amen? Number two, there is punishment of sin outside the camp. Amen? And number three, there is shame and disgrace outside the camp. Amen? All right, so let's talk about this. Exclusion from the presence of God. Let's read a couple of examples about that. Numbers 5, 2 to 3. Look, look at what the Lord has said in the Old Testament. Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp. Get outside the camp. Who? Everyone who is leprous. Who's leper. Or has a discharge and everyone who's unclean through the contact of the dead. And then he said, you shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile the camp in the midst which I dwell. What God is saying here is this. I am pure. I am clean. I am holy. And I dwell in the midst of the camp. So if there is anyone in your congregation who happened to be unclean, who happened to sin against me, I want them outside the camp. I want to be excluded from my presence, excluded from where I exist, because I am too holy that sin cannot come close to me. Amen? So outside the camp, we see exclusion from the presence of God. Deuteronomy 23, 10 and 14. Look at this. If there is any man among you who, has, who becomes unclean by some occurrence of the night. Verse 14. For the, get him outside the camp, God says. Verse 14. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you. And to give your enemies over to you. Therefore your camp shall be holy. 
that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. Do you see this? God says, I dwell in the camp and I am so pure and holy. If there's anyone here is unclean or sinful, they have to be excluded from my presence. They cannot come close to me. Amen. And that's literally what Jesus did on the cross. He was representing our sin. He became sin for us. And because he became sin for us, he had to be excluded from the very presence of God. He had to get outside the camp and suffer for our sake. Amen? Amen? Amen. This is just amazing that the Son of God will do that for you and me. Think about it. What is the whole point of sanctification again? The whole point is that you and I will be consecrated to do what? To approach the living God. To come close to the living God, right? But in order for Jesus to qualify us to come close to the holy and the righteous God, guess what he had to do? He had to be himself excluded and go far away from a holy and a righteous God. Amen? He traded our place. He took our uncleanness and was away from God so he can bring us close to God. Amen? Remember that scripture, Ephesians 2.13? What does it say? But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off, what happened to you? Have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. So what's outside the camp? Number one, exclusion from the presence of God. Amen? Number two, there is punishment of sin outside the camp. Many examples. We'll just read one. Leviticus 24.14. Here's what the Lord is saying. Bring out the camp, the one who cursed, the one who sinned. And let all those who heard him lay their hands on his head. And let all the congregation stone him. But where are they stoning him? Outside the camp. So what is outside the camp? There is punishment over sin outside the camp. Amen? And that's why Jesus had to be outside the camp because on the cross, he took the very wrath of God over your sins and my sins upon himself. And in order for him to be punished, he needed to fulfill the very type in the Old Testament. So he bore the wrath of God on your behalf and my behalf outside the camp. Amen? But number three, there is shame and disgrace outside the camp. Look at this. Leviticus 13, 45 to 46. As you guys can tell, I love Leviticus. It's a great book. Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. There is lepers outside the camp, the Bible tells us in, in Leviticus 13. And then it says this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and look all the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be where? Outside the camp. In the Old Testament, leprosy represents sin. It's a type of sin. And God is saying, if there is somebody who's leper, who's a leper, he needs to be outside the camp. And think about it. Think about this. Imagine a city, a fortified city with walls. And there's a person outside that city. His clothes is torn. And his hair is hang out like that, just free. And then he covers his upper lip. And then if anybody by accident coming into the city and see that leper person, doesn't know his leper, the leper has to shout out unclean unclean don't come close to me i am filthy and i am unclean talking about disgrace right talking about being ashamed for who you are right because there is shame and disgrace outside the camp amen 
And guess what Jesus did for you and me outside the camp on that very cross of Calvary while he's shedding his blood. He took our shame. He took our disgrace upon himself. And he suffered for you and me outside the camp. Amen. Is there a scripture for that? Let's read some. There is multiple. Hebrews 13, 13. Right in the passage that we just read. It says, therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp. What is outside the camp? Bearing his reproach, his shame. Let's go outside the camp. And outside the camp is associated with shame, reproach. You guys need to stand up. Okay, you need to respond or stand up, okay? There is shame outside the camp. Amen? Hebrews 12, 2. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Looking up unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he did what? He despised the shame outside the camp. Look at this, Psalm 69. This is a messianic psalm. It talks about Jesus and him dying on the cross. I just want you to see how many times the word shame or reproach was mentioned in that psalm. Look at this. Because of your sake, Jesus says, I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. Verse 9. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Verse 19. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before me. Verse 20. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, and I found none. On that cross outside the gates of the city of Jerusalem, Jesus bore your shame because you have sinned against God. But he took our place. He bore our shame upon himself on the cross outside the camp. Amen. Why did Jesus have to do all of that? Why did he need it to be excluded from the very presence of God? Why did he need to bear your shame and my shame? Why did he need to take your punishment and my punishment? You know why? Because he wants... You and me to be sanctified, to consecrate us, to bring us to God so we can know Him. Amen? The cost of sanctification. It costs the Son of God everything to cleanse you and me so we can approach the living God. Amen? That cross and that blood that He shed on the cross is, it is what took Him so He can consecrate us to approach God. Amen? But... This idea that we are consecrated by the blood of Jesus, by the cross of Jesus, is actually prominent in the whole book of Hebrews. There's multiple other examples. Let's look at Hebrews 10.10. Look at what the author of Hebrews say. And by that will we have been sanctified. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? Once and for all. The author of Hebrews is saying, this is how we are sanctified. By the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Where did that happen? On the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, when he shed his blood. That very offering that he offered when he bore the wrath of God. That's what sanctified us before God. Amen. Hebrews 2. Look at this amazing scripture. You're going to read from 14, 11 to 14. For both... He who sanctifies, that is Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, are all of one. That's what the Greek says. Now, what, what, what does that one mean? Um, different meanings. In ASP, the translation, I think, got it wrong. It says we're all of one father. I think that's not what it's trying to say here. The NIV said we're all of one family. We're all of one 
um, clan. We belong to the same thing, Jesus and us. And I think that's the right meaning. Because in verse 14, it says this. And as much, in, in as much then, as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared that. Same. He shared flesh and blood just like you and me. And through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. What the author of Hebrews I believe is trying to say here is this. That when Jesus became like you and me. When he humbled himself. When he took upon himself the form of a man like you and me. And then he went to the cross. And then he died on the cross. It's only then when he shed his blood on the cross. That he who sanctifies that's the Lord Jesus. And you and me who now can be sanctified. Amen. Are all belonging to the same clan. The same family of flesh and blood. Amen. You get that? It's when Jesus became like us. It's when he died on the cross. That's only and only when he is able now to sanctify you and me to approach the living God. Amen. We are sanctified how? By the blood of Jesus when Jesus died on the cross. Amen. So we talked about two things so far. We talked about the meaning, the connotation of sanctification. We talked about the cost of sanctification Finally, let's talk about the call for sanctification. This is verse 13. Let us therefore, the author of Hebrews saying, let us therefore go forth to him. Where? Outside the camp. We too should go outside the camp. Bearing his glory, right? What does it say? Bearing his Reproach. What the author of Hebrews is saying is this. In as much as Jesus has dedicated everything that he is for you and me so we can be saved. In as much as he willingly went outside the camp. Took our shame. Took our punishment. Took our rejection. And he was excluded from the presence of God. Everybody rejected him. Everybody despised him. In as much as he was committed to you and me in that way. We also should do the same thing for him. Amen. We should love him so much that we don't care if the whole world rejects us. We don't care if everybody despises us. We don't care if everybody shames us because we know him. It won't matter to us. Let's just do the exact thing that he has done for us. Let's go outside the camp, bear the reproach for his name's sake. Amen? Amen? Let's, let's apply that for in, in two groups of people. If you're already here and you're a believer, if you know Jesus, if you know that you have eternal life, I'm going to elaborate what Barb was saying earlier about sharing the gospel. I'm not sure if you know, but when God wanted to design his global plan to share the gospel and how the gospel needs to be promoted, as far as I know, he didn't ask any one of us what we think, how it should be done, right? Anybody here Did God... Sit down with you and ask you how we need to present the gospel, how we need to promote the gospel. None of us, right? He has the plan, right? And he said, here is how it's going to be. The gospel needs to be proclaimed. You need to tell people about Jesus. He didn't take a poll to see what is our personalities. He didn't take a poll to see what we are comfortable with or what methods work best for us. He really didn't do that. He said, I am Lord. And here is how my gospel needs to be proclaimed. You go out, you, you heal the sick, you, you deliver the oppressed, you raise the dead, and you proclaim the gospel. This is how I want the gospel to be proclaimed. Amen? Now, he didn't ask you if you like to do it or not. He gave you the option if you want to follow him or not. But if you want to follow him, guess what? You follow him on his term, not your terms. Amen? 
Amen? As far as I know, He is the Lord and Savior, not you, not me. Amen? And in so many ways, when you come to Him and say, Jesus, from today forward, I want to follow you. I want to become born again. You're really literally giving up every single right to have opinion in any matter. Amen? From that point forward that you make the commitment to follow Him, He is the Lord. He is Lord over your life. He's Lord over your future. He's Lord over your relationships. And According to the book of Hebrews here, even if we get rejected and despised by every single person in this world, it doesn't matter because if He did it for us and we willingly accepted Him to be our Lord, then we should be willing to do it for Him. Amen? How much options do you have in sharing the gospel? Vocally proclaiming the gospel. How much options? Zero. It's your call. You don't have to follow Jesus. Jesus is not binding you to with feather, feathers and chains and say, you have to be my disciples. He said, if you want to be my disciples, it's my terms or no terms. Amen? amen. Not, not a big amen. amen. Amen? Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, when, if you don't know that you are right with God, if you don't know that you have a relationship with Him, if you don't know that you have eternal life, that if you die today, you're going to end up in heaven, Here's what I do when I go out and tell people about Jesus. I use this analogy of marriage and probably shared that with you like a million times before. The day I went and committed my life to my wife and we make a covenant that from that day forward we'll be married, right? How much of my heart did I pledge to my wife? All of it, right? How much of my kisses did I pledge to her? Everything. I didn't offer her 90%, right? I didn't tell her from today forward, 90%, 90 of every 100 kiss I give away going to be yours, and 10 is mine, I'll do whatever I want. I didn't do that, right? And I assure you, if she would have promised me that, I would have not married her, right? Because we're making a covenant. She's all mine, right? And I'm all hers, right? I don't want half-hearted or 90% commitment from her. I want 100%. Now, she's free to make the commitment or not, right? But if she's going to make the commitment, I'm not settling for 99.9, right? I want the 100%. Does that make sense? Make sense? It's the same thing. Listen, you and me have sinned before a holy and a righteous God. And the wages of our sin is death. To be separated from God for all eternity. We had no hope. We had, God didn't even want, need to save you and me at all. But the Bible says that God so loved the world. That he actually offered you and me a way to be made right with him. And that one way was when his son Jesus came from heaven. Died on the cross. Shed his blood. So he can satisfy the justice and the wrath of God over your sins and my sins and that same very Jesus rose again from the dead in the third day and because he's alive today he can give you the power to change amen everything that you need to be made right with God God has provided for you when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again and all what he wants from you is your heart but he doesn't take 99.9 and he takes nothing less than 100% amen it's your call at this point to decide if you want to repent of all your sins and come to Jesus or you'd rather just do it your way and end up separated from God for all eternity. Amen? It's your call. He's not going to make you. He's not going to force you to follow him. But if you're going to follow him, he's not going to take less, less than the 100%. He said if you're not willing to bear my cross and being willing to be butchered, like just the same way I'm butchered on the cross. And not just you do it one day. You carry your cross and being willing to butcher it for my sake every single day. Then guess what? Don't follow me. You don't have to. But if you want to follow me, here is the level of commitment that I want from you. Amen? Amen? Let me just close with this and then we'll pray.
when ISIS did all this uh, beheading, this one guy evangelist posted on Facebook uh, an amazing quote. And he said this. He said, the most dangerous thing that the world is facing nowadays is not radical Islam, but it is complacent Christianity. Think about that. The, most, the single most dangerous that the world is facing today is not radical Islam. It is complacent Christianity. You know what that means? A disciple that is following Jesus half-hearted. I think this is absolutely right. He absolutely nailed it. A disciple that is following Jesus half-hearted is, is doing more promotion to the kingdom of darkness. Is doing more damage to the kingdom of God than those radical Islams who are just going around beheading people. Does that make sense? Yeah. So true. It is so true. Amen? Let's all come uh, before God and close in prayers. Listen, the Bible says, let us go outside the camp and bear his